chapter 1, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 10. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 10. And, and what a privilege it is, what a joy is always to be a Berean Baptist church. And how grateful and thankful I am for your testimony for Christ and your love for the Lord and for His Word. I'm excited about these days praying and asking the Lord to do great and mighty things. You know, sometimes we think we know what we want, but the Lord knows what we need. And what we need this week is what we need, not what we want. And that God would do such a work in our hearts and in our lives. God bless you this morning. Revelation chapter number 1. In Revelation 1, Pastor John, an old, old preacher now, past 90 years old, he's been exiled to an island called the island of Patmos. You know, the Bible says it was because of the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Because John loves his Bible and because John loves his Savior, he's not going to compromise. He is not going to change. He is not going to bow his knee to the modern religions of his day. And, and now he is paying a great price. You know, I, I've tried to imagine what it must have been like as... That little boat pulls into that rocky island of Patmos and it was an island for criminals. They would quarry the mines and, and get great boulders and rocks for the Roman Empire. And as that 90 plus year old man got off that boat onto that island, he must have thought, well, it's been a great run. He must have thought, man, the Lord used me to do some great things. And in the last 60 years since Calvary, it's just been a joy. It's just been a privilege. But, but you know, when you're 90 plus and you're on an island like Patmos, you got to think it's pretty much all over now. And it must have been a horrible place to be, at least for John, because, you know, on a very clear day, you could see the mountains of what we call Turkey today. And, and right beyond those mountains were the city of Ephesus, where John's loved ones were, where his church was. And, and you know, it may as well have been a million miles away. And that old preacher steps out on the rocky island of Patmos and he must have thought it's over now. And thank you, Lord, I, I'm ready to go. It's, I, I've lived a life for the Lord. I, I've been preaching now for six decades. All my brother apostles, they all died young and the Lord gave me the one long life. And, and he must have thought it's all over now and little did he know. Because on that island of Patmos, the Lord would roll back the skies. And, and well, the Bible tells us that God had something for that 90-plus-year-old preacher. We call it the book of Revelation. Could we get that right, please? This is not the book of Revelations. That's not what it is. This is not the revelations of end times. Our problem today is on a weekly basis now in America, people are shoehorning the Bible so it fits with what the news says and what the USA Today says. This book is not in the Bible to give us a revelation of the end times. If you read it, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is in the Bible not so we can have a little puzzle to play so that we can match the pieces with what we're watching take place. No, this book is in the Bible so that you and I will love our Savior and know Him and exalt Him and magnify Him. It is not the revelations of the end times. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what a moment in time that must have been. It certainly is a glorious day as the word of God is given to John. It started in verse 1 at the mouth of God. Of course it does. The Bible is every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. From the mouth of God, the words to the book of Revelation were given to Jesus. Of course they were. The word of God is given to the living word of God. Now by an angel, those words have been delivered to Pastor John on the island of Patmos. And it's where we pick up the story in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 10. I was in the spirit 
Uh, notice that's a capital S spirit. Our Bible gets this right. Most modern Bibles get it wrong. But Pastor John on the island of Patmos is receiving a revelation from God through Jesus that is given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. There will come a time in Revelation 4 where John is going to be in spirit and not in the body now, but in his spirit, he is going to be transported to heaven. Modern Bibles get this wrong. Our Bible, of course, gets it right. In the spirit now, as the spirit of God is giving him the message of Jesus from the mouth of God, the Bible says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. Pastor John is going to write it in the book. Father, help us now as we go to the word of God. And I pray the convictions of the Bible would be ours today. And Lord, we know we live in a world of compromised religion, of confused religion. But I pray you'd make us strong in your word, strong in what it says. Help Berean Baptist Church, I pray in the great name of Jesus. Amen. I love the fact that the Bible says it all happens or it begins to happen on the Lord's day. What a great name that is. You know, this is the first time in human history or in the Bible that Sunday is referred to as the Lord's day. Right about here, the liberal seminary professors have a big problem on their hands because, you know, they are searching and they are looking and they wonder, in their words, what source did John have? Because no one else has ever called Sunday the Lord's day. You know, you know what John's source was? It was Almighty God through the person of Jesus by the Spirit of God. That was his source. And so for the first time, we have a brand new name for Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. What a great name for Sunday. What a great name for that day when God's people congregate and they assemble together around the Word of God to hear from heaven. Of course, before this time, we had the Lord's Supper, but, but for the first time in the Bible, Sunday is called the Lord's Day. And that was the day when God begins to deal with Pastor John on that rocky island of Patmos. And in verse number 11, it says, And what thou seest, write, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. So the Lord comes to Pastor John and says, right here, right now, present tense, I want you to write what you are about to see. I want you to write what you are about to hear. Now that's significant because you and I need to recognize that the book of Revelation is not the memoirs of John. It is not that when John a few years later said, and oh, by the way, way back yonder, I have this vision and let me tell you what I think and let me tell you what I remember. I'm glad we don't have to trust the memory of a 95-year-old guy to know what the Bible says. No, sir, Pastor John, like every other writer that God used in the Bible, what they saw, they wrote. What they heard, they wrote. Why, these are the words of God that are coming to Pastor John. And there is John writing those words perfectly and accurately for you and for me. Not years later, but as God speaks through the Spirit of God, Pastor John is writing. What thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. You know, I, I love the simplicity here. What you see, write, and after you write, send. Write and send. Who do you send it to? Well, he said, I want you to send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. 
So we get our model for the Bible, don't we? It all begins in verse number one from the mouth of God. Jesus said it is every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. From God it goes to the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the Spirit of God delivers that message to Pastor John. After Pastor John writes it down, well, the Bible tells us it's going to be sent to assemblies that are scattered around his world. Notice in verse number 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, Pastor John said now, I saw seven golden candlesticks. What a way to begin the book of Revelation. It all starts on the Lord's day. And when Pastor John is about to get this message from heaven, he looks and the first thing he sees, well, seven golden candlesticks. The Lord Jesus Christ is declaring the words of God. And those words, the first thing he sees are those seven golden candlesticks. So if you would this morning, I'd like you to take your Bible and I'd like to preach this morning about those candlesticks. And from the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, there's a few lessons I'd like to give you this morning. I'd like you to see with me, first of all, that the candlesticks are independent. The candlesticks are independent. Notice the words, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, when you read that, it's awfully easy for us to picture in our mind the, the Old Testament Jewish menorah. That, of course, would be one candlestick with seven candles that were on that one stick. That is not what Pastor John sees. He doesn't see a menorah, but what he sees are seven distinct different candlesticks. You say, well, now what's the big deal? We'll get there. But it is a big deal because John doesn't see one boss candlestick. No, the Bible tells us he sees seven distinct candlesticks. Well, we go on in the Word of God and we discover that every one of those candlesticks are standing for a New Testament church. Candlestick number one is a church in the city of Ephesus. Candlestick number two in Revelation 2 and 3 we'll learn is the candlestick of the church called Smyrna. Candlestick number three is the church in a place called Pergamos. Candlestick number four is a church in Thyatira. Candlestick number five is a church in a city called Sardis. Candlestick number six is in a city called Philadelphia. And candlestick number seven is in a place called Laodicea. So there are seven distinct candlesticks. And every one of those candlesticks refer to a church that is in a different city. Now this really matters because when you look at those churches in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, well, they're just like Berean Baptist Church. They're just like another independent Baptist church across town or across the state. They're like another independent Baptist church in America or around the world. These are assemblies. These candlesticks are assemblies and there they are in certain towns. You know, the fascinating thing over the next two chapters is to realize how different but how same those churches are. Some of them were bigger than others. Some were smaller. Some of those churches were living for Christ. Some of those churches, the members were dying for Christ. I'm afraid some of those churches had fallen in love with the world. Some of the people had left their first love. Every church had their issues. Every church had things they were doing well, or most of them. But the thing is, though they were all in different places, and they were all different, and they all had different issues, and they all were doing things right, the Bible tells us each one was a candlestick. 
And that becomes incredibly important because there is a candlestick in Ephesus, a candlestick in Sardis, a candlestick in Philadelphia, a candlestick in Laodicea. Every one of the churches are independent candlesticks. But what I discover reading Revelation 1 is that there is no boss candlestick. There is, you will notice, no fellowship candlestick. You will notice there is no convention candlestick. You will notice there is no Bible college candlestick and there is no seminary candlestick. You will notice that there is no Vatican candlestick. No, all of the things that human religions have created with all their boards and all their presidents and all their doctors and all their scholars and, and all the rest of it, they're all missing from Revelation chapter 1. Here's a candlestick. There's seven of them scattered around. There's one candlestick, another candlestick, another candlestick, and all of the stuff that has been complicated by religion, all of the massive programs, all of the great international organizations, all of the, well, Pastor Reno, we have a better way to do it stuff that we are surrounded with and bombarded with in our world, they are all missing in Revelation chapter 1. I mean, for all of the complexities of the book of Revelation, do you see how simple this starts? It starts from the mouth of God. The words are given to Jesus, the word of God. By the spirit of God, they are given to Pastor John. And now Pastor John is going to write them. Most likely he's going to write them on an animal skin. And the Bible says that that animal skin, that writing is going to be delivered to these seven candlesticks. To that candlestick in Ephesus. To that candlestick over in Smyrna. One by one, these independent candlesticks are going to receive a copy of the word of God. What a beautiful thing. What a, what a brilliant thing. I, I mean, all the middlemen have just been cut out. Have you noticed? All the great programs, the doctors, the scholars, and the rest of them. No, all you have with Jesus are these candlesticks. What a beautiful thing. Seven very different independent candlesticks. That's what Pastor John sees. But would you notice, number two, not only are the candlesticks independent, they are also very valuable. Now, these candlesticks, independent, but they're also incredibly valuable because in verse number 12, he said, I saw seven golden candlesticks. My, can we begin to imagine how valuable these candlesticks are to the Lord? It, it, it's tough to know exactly how much one of those candlesticks weighs. So, so while I, I, I promise you these are not menorahs, they're different things, the menorah of the Old Testament, take it or leave it, weighed about 75 pounds. So if you start running numbers, 70-pound candlestick, and, and you know, these must have been pretty big. Pastor John could see them from a distance. But if it was the same weight as the Old Testament candlestick and menorah, then 75 pounds, well, if you run the numbers, then those seven candlesticks would have a value for you and me of about $15 million. Now, I got to tell you, no matter how you look at it, golden candlesticks are awfully valuable. And golden candlesticks that are high enough for Pastor John to see and notice, you know, they're not just little things like that. They're pretty much that size. So, so here is something valuable. Here is something expensive. Here is something that is made of gold. How are you going to buy a golden candlestick? Well, the Word of God tells us that these candlesticks had a very high price tag. 
The Word of God tells us that they were purchased in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. And yet like your soul and mine, they were not bought with corruptible things like silver and gold from the vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers. But the candlesticks in the book of Acts chapter 20 were purchased with his own blood. They were purchased with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you talk about valuable. You talk about expensive. There's no way to put a price tag on such a thing. Money isn't going to purchase those golden candlesticks. They were bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves those candlesticks so much. They're such a priority to him that the Lord Jesus died for them. I know we come to the Bible and we realize that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. For those who sit in Berean Baptist Church this morning saved by the blood of Jesus. For the skeptic and the scorner that lives in Puyallup this morning who has no heart for Christ and no desire to be saved in a very real way Jesus died for the sins of the whole world Jesus died for every man every woman every boy and every girl no one will ever be without excuse no one will ever stand at judgment day and say nobody cared for my soul all Jesus does is stretch out his hands and the wounded slain son of God well it says it all Jesus loved the world and he died for the sins of the world. But you know, not only does the Bible tell us that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but it also tells us in a very special way he shed his blood to purchase the New Testament church. And that's why this thing is so important. That's why an assembly like Berean Baptist Church matters so much. Uh, it is true that Christ died and shed his blood for everyone, but in a very, very special way, he bought his assembly with his blood. And that's what makes a New Testament church above and beyond every other human organization. There's not one verse in the Bible that says Christ died for a school. Not one verse in the Bible says he purchased a seminary with his blood. Not one verse in the Bible does it says he purchased a fellowship, a convention, a council with his blood. Not one verse in the Bible does Jesus purchase some board or program or Vatican with his own blood. But when it comes to a precious New Testament assembly, the Bible tells us it has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. That tells me the candlesticks are not only independent, there is one for each one of these assemblies and churches, but they're incredibly valuable. They're pictured in the Bible as golden candlesticks. It would be hard to put a greater price tag on those candlesticks except to say they have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. The candlesticks are independent. The candlesticks are valuable. But how about this one? The candlesticks have a ruler. In verse number 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, right there in the middle of things now, there is one like unto the Son of Man. Somebody has to be in charge of the candlesticks. Of course they do. I mean, in a human way, we recognize somebody needs to take care of them. Candlesticks, well, somebody's got to take out the old wick. Somebody has to freshen the oil and make sure it's burning. Somebody has to make sure that the light keeps on shining. So somebody has to protect these candlesticks from the thieves and the robbers that would come. Somebody is going to hear and notice everything that happens in these candlesticks. Candlesticks. There is someone who is in the midst of all these candlesticks. And that says that if you're in a candlestick and you are this morning and, and I being in the candlestick called Berean Baptist Church, we ought to take notice of that, shouldn't we? 
No, it's not the pastor who's the head of the church and the savior of the body. It is not some denominational boss who's the head of the church and the savior of the body. It is not some leader of a board who's the present head of the church and the savior of the body. The Bible says that position belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who is the one who's in the midst of the candlesticks? Who is the one who has the authority? The Bible says it is one like unto the Son of Man. And there he stands in the middle of his churches. There could be a greater picture this morning. Right in the middle of the assemblies called candlesticks, Jesus is ruling over them. Jesus is watching them. It reminds us this morning that there is nothing that is going to happen at Berean Baptist Church, but that Jesus is an eyewitness and ear witness too. There is nothing that someone is going to say, nothing that someone is going to say, but that the Lord Jesus Christ is right there in the middle of it all. Whether we like it or not sometimes, Jesus is in the middle of Berean Baptist Church. There is nothing hidden from him. There is nothing that he will not see. You know, that's why this morning when a church gathers together and, and in most modern houses of religion, and I do use different terms. I didn't, but I do now. And to be honest with you, what we call church is something very different than what the Bible calls church. In the Bible, a church is an assembly of baptized believers, the body of Christ in that local place. What we call churches in America, buildings are not churches. What we are calling churches in America, they may well be houses of religion, but they are not assemblies of baptized believers. They're something very, very different. And this morning, so many are going to congregate and so many gather with an attitude that says, well, we're going to sing music that we like. We're going to preach a message or discuss a message that we like. We're going to come up with a program that's going to be appealing to the masses. That's not what Revelation chapter 1 is saying. It doesn't say take a poll and find out what your community wants. Right there in the midst of the churches, the one who sees everything, knows everything, watches everything, and hears everything everything it is his candlestick and it is his business and we have to we have to come to the place my friend where we stop worrying whether the world likes it or not whether the world approves or not and start worrying about whether Jesus approves or not because the one who stands ruling in the midst of the candlesticks the one who is watching the candlesticks the one who is hearing the candlesticks is the son of man he is the great high priest the one in the midst of it all is the one who knows and hears and sees everything Revelation 1 that's why you and I we better understand this morning the candlesticks belong to the Savior the candlesticks are ruled by the Savior and that means that Berean Baptist Church has one person to please it doesn't matter whether the neighbors like it or not. It doesn't matter whether the town approves or no. It doesn't matter whether the other preacher brethren like it or not. It doesn't matter if all the programs and the rulers and the rest of it, whether they like it or not. Berean Baptist Church is one day going to answer to the owner of this church. You have a grave responsibility to please the one who is in the midst of the church, who is watching and hearing and seeing everything. The Bible tells us there's seven candlesticks. I, John, I have the word of God from the mouth of God to the person of Christ by the Spirit of God. And now Pastor John said, I turned to see the voices spake with me. And the first thing I saw were seven golden candlesticks. What a thing. You know, there's a lot in the book of Revelation, isn't there? Brother, there's a lot to see in the book of Revelation. 
The first thing Pastor John sees are seven golden candlesticks. Contrary to modern thinking, my, the New Testament assembly is near to the heart of God. They are independent, they are incredibly valuable, and the Bible tells us that in the midst of it all, there is the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse number 20, well, what would you expect in the book of Revelation? You'd expect mysteries, mysteries to be solved. And the Bible says the mystery, and actually this verse deals with two mysteries, but the first mystery is the mystery of the seven golden candlesticks. It says in verse number 20, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So there is no mistake, is there? Pastor John says, the first thing I saw of a lot of things in heaven, the first thing I saw are those seven golden candlesticks. They are independent, they are incredibly valuable, and Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning over them. And he said, just to make sure you know who those seven candlesticks are, well, one of them is the church in Ephesus, one of them is the next church down the road, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Thyatira, uh, one by one, those seven churches, those seven candlesticks are those seven churches. So there becomes an order here, doesn't there? Back in verse number 11, the word of God tells us the Bible was to be sent unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That's beautiful. You know, I know we throw out names and, and you know, okay, this is modern Turkey, but, but the thing about those seven cities, if you put them on a map, there's a horseshoe. And not only is there a horseshoe connecting them, there was a highway that connected them. You know, somebody had a church planning program 2,000 years ago. You know how they did this? They went to, to the church in Ephesus, and then 30 to 40 miles away. Every one of these cities are 26 to 40 miles apart, and they're all on a highway that starts in Ephesus and goes around the Laodicea. You know, some of these cities are incredibly large cities, and some of them were small villages. I find it interesting that some of the biggest cities around aren't included in this list. In other words, whoa, man, there's that big church in Colossus say, call it Colossians, and then there was a big church in Hierapolis. But isn't it fascinating that the Lord says, no, I've got these seven churches that have been started right along that horseshoe highway. There's those seven assemblies, and the word of God tells us how critical they are. Now remember, the Bible's telling us they're independent, there is no boss candlestick, that they are incredibly valuable, they're golden, that they are watched over, cared for, and Jesus got an eye on them. But now the Bible tells us in Revelation 2 and 3 that these candlesticks are about to become the guardians of the Word of God. And this is incredibly important to the day in which you and I live. Because follow, it all started in verse 1 from the mouth of God to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of God through an angel it is delivered to Pastor John. Pastor John is going to write the words to the book of Revelation. And, and, and I don't know, maybe calls FedEx or somebody, but... But that book of Revelation written down that started from the mouth of God to the person of Jesus by the Spirit of God, now that book of Revelation written on a, a, a huge, huge animal skin, almost certainly, and it's interesting, it was written on the front and on the back. You know, they would do that for a reason. Uh, one reason was because those animal skins were very expensive. I'll just go out on a limb and say heaven's not worried about the budget. But you know the other reason they would write it on one animal skin? The reason they would do it is because they wanted to be sure it never got broken up. Keep it all together. That's powerful. 
So now you got the Bible has been written. Pastor John's arm has done the hard work. And now it goes to the pastor, whoever now was in the city of Ephesus. What a church that was. Pastor John was there. Timothy pastored there. Paul started that church. Epaphras pastored there. There's some mighty men in that church in Ephesus. And so it goes to the church in Ephesus. And the Bible says specifically, we say, well, they sent those letters to the churches. Not really. It says they sent them to the angel of the church. So it was delivered to the angel of the church in Ephesus. There they copy the word of God carefully and accurately. Now the Bible is sent on to the next church and to the next church. And what we have in Revelation chapter 1 is the perfect picture as to how you and I got our Bible. We have one book, the book of Revelation, standing as a picture for the whole word of God. How did we get our Bible? Well, number one, it started from the mouth of God. Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God delivered to holy men of God like Pastor John who wrote those words down. And this becomes important now because you will notice and you can find this elsewhere in the New Testament the Bible and the work of writing and copying and preserving the Bible was placed into the hands of the candlesticks. Now this matters because, quite frankly, this morning, there are two lines of Bibles that are out there. If a pastor wanted to, you put a table over here and have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of small B Bibles that just reach up to the ceiling. And if he wanted to, you put another table over here. It'd be a very, very small one. You wouldn't need much here. And and you could put our King James Bible on that table. And if you ask the question, well, where did these Bibles come from? Well, this great huge mountain of Bibles, for all their differences and all the rest of it, they all come from the same place, from a monastery in Egypt. But over here on this little table, that one little King James Bible came from a very different source. It came from churches in a place called Turkey or Asia Minor, right here. What did God do with his Bible? He didn't say send it to the monastery in Alexandria, Egypt. Can any good thing come out of Egypt? I can't find anything in the Bible. But you know, he didn't send it to the monastery. He sent it to the New Testament churches. He sent it to the candlesticks. We got a perfect example of the Bible. So not only are these candlesticks valuable and independent, and not only has Jesus got an eye on everyone, he is in the middle of them, but these candlesticks become the guardians of the word of God. They become the protectors of the word of God and why should we be surprised the Bible says if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou wouldest to behave thyself in the house of God which is the church of the living God and get this the pillar and ground of the truth the truth is always known as God's word Jesus said thy word is truth the truth is the Bible the pillar and the ground of the truth the foundation the basement of the truth the protector of the truth is right here, the New Testament church. So I don't want a Bible that came from the seminary. I don't want a Bible that came from a society. I don't want a Bible that came from an organization of humans. I don't want a Bible that came from some grand creation that you don't have in the Word of God. Thanks, but I'll take the Bible of the New Testament churches. I'll take the Bible that was protected and guarded by those assemblies of God scattered around Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. The Bible tells us it's the candlesticks that are valuable. The candlesticks are independent, only one per church. The candlesticks are ruled over by the Lord Jesus Christ. And those candlesticks become the guardians of the word of God. 
Well, I got to tell you, those candlesticks are awfully precious. And in a world that's got everything but the candlestick, but the New Testament assembly, when you go to the Bible, that is all you'll find, isn't it? I mean, after Jesus ascends back into heaven, his disciples are sent out to do one thing. He never sent them out to start a super sensational international organization. He never sent them out to go and start some some new multimedia thing. He just sent them out to start New Testament churches. The entire New Testament is about A, the establishing of churches, and then B, the rest of the New Testament is about the pastors of the churches or the people of the churches, the doctrine of the those churches. The end of the New Testament talks about seven of them and what became of them. No, it's the only program in the plan of God. You say, well, you know, churches, that's important to God. Well, it's not just important, it's the plan. It is not a good plan. It is not an ideal plan. It is the plan. And when the Savior said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, you baptize them into assemblies. There you preach the gospel. There you reproduce yourself. Win them, baptize them, teach them, and go start churches. That's not a plan. That is the plan of the Word of God. And it's what Jesus wanted his candlesticks to do. What a great mystery. What is the mystery of the seven candlesticks? Those candlesticks are independent. Those candlesticks are incredibly valuable. Jesus is in the middle of those candlesticks, and those candlesticks become the protectors, the guardians, and the copiers of the Word of God. Those candlesticks are seven assemblies, seven bodies of Christ, the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea, and the church in the one I forgot. But those New Testament assemblies, that's the candlestick. What a great mystery. You know, we got a minute or two. There's one more minute. I know we love to go to Revelation and find mysteries. And there's one more in verse number 20. Uh, notice if you wouldn't. The Bible tells us not only did the mystery of the seven candlesticks, but it also says there's the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. Back in verse number 16, the son of man, the great high priest, he had seven stars in his right hand. Well, the mystery of those seven stars, who could they be? In verse number 20, they are the angels of the seven churches. Boy, I'll tell you what, this gets pretty good. So the Bible tells us that guarded in the wonderful hand of the Lord, the right hand of God, right there in his hand, in Jesus' hand, are seven stars who the Bible says are the angels, the messengers of those seven churches. Well, I guess it's possible that every one of those churches has an angel that watches over it. There's more than one watching us today, thankfully. But you know, the messenger of the church, and, and when you read the story, every one of these letters are sent to him, to that messenger of the church, to make sure the Bible is declared in the church and copied in the church. The messenger, the star of the church, is none other than the pastor of that church. So this becomes powerful because, you know, you could call Pastor Reno, Pastor Reno. You call him Brother Reno. Technically, you could call him Bishop Reno. That's a good name. You know, there's a lot of names you could call him, but you could also call him Star Reno. How would that work today? And if that one doesn't work, you could call him Angel Reno. And <laughs> Mrs. Reno, she's, she's really enjoying this, I can see. Your pastor is a star in the hand of Jesus. Let's just think that through. Nobody else. The pastor, not the evangelist, not some missionary. The pastor of the candlestick is a star protected in the hand of Jesus. 
Well, I got to tell you, we better be awfully careful how we deal with our pastors, how we respect our pastors, how we give honor to them. Because one day, the one who is in the midst of the church, who hears and sees and knows everything, he's going to know what kind of heart we had towards the man of God that God put in our life. The mystery of the seven stars, the mystery of the seven candlesticks, seven independent assemblies. Each one has a star slash angel slash pastor. You and I have a great responsibility today to love and defend and get busy serving God in a New Testament candlestick. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful and so thankful for the mighty word of God. And, and what a grand testimony, what a way to start the book of Revelation and Lord, for all the things in this book that we're, we see and read about and, and, and the scintillating things and exciting things, it all begins with Pastor John seeing seven candlesticks. Lord, we, we cannot be true to the Word of God and not love the New Testament assembly. We cannot be true to the Word of God and have great respect for the New Testament church. I pray that conviction will be strong and real in our hearts and in our lives. I ask it in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.